So today we will begin a study through the book of Ephesians. Another one of Paul's letters here, this time to the church that is in Ephesus. And verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting to me here right off the bat, here how Paul calls the believers in Jesus Christ that, that were in the city of Ephesus, he calls them faithful in Christ. Now, why do I say that's interesting? Well, I want you to go ahead and mark this page and turn in your Bible back to the book of Revelation. Revelation is, of course, the last book in your Bible. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2. And as you're turning there, again, I'm just going to remind you that what Paul said there, he called those of the, the believers of the church in Ephesus, right? He called them faithful in Christ Jesus. And then here in Revelations chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, the time frame is, of course, different here. But we're talking about the same city where believers in Jesus Christ dwelt. And verse 1 continues and says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, what color are the letters there in verse 2? They're red, right? If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, uh, this is Jesus speaking here, and that's why those letters are in red. He is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And we won't get into all of that today. Uh, we will in a future study. But just know that this is Jesus speaking here. And he says in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now stop right there for a second because this is what should be said of us as modern day followers of Jesus Christ. We work for the Lord. We labor for the Lord. We are known for patience, and we don't like evil, and we avoid evil, right? We test those that teach the word, right? We go out and we spread the gospel. We persevere. We stay the course. We don't become weary in the labor that we do for the Lord. Now, I'm not even sure that the church today is known for any of these things, but the Ephesians, at least at one time, were. And Paul said that they were faithful in Jesus Christ. And Jesus speaks very highly of them here. But something changed. Look at verse 4. It says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Your first love. So, so something was missing, right? And I want to tell you something here. Leaving your first love when it comes to your relationship, your walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's actually very easy to do. 
you know, something happens in the heart of a person and they, they come to the end of their selves in some way, shape, or form. And each of one of us has our own testimony regarding this, right? And what happens at that point, everything is made new. The Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts and we begin to serve the Lord. And then time goes by and we begin to be tested. The wonder and the amazement may begin to fade and the world starts to beat you down in one way or another. And you move away from that place of true intimacy with the Lord. Now, it's not the Lord's fault and it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. You just lose patience. You grow weary and you no longer want to persevere. So you leave that place of your first love in Jesus Christ. And again, the Ephesians were once faithful in Jesus Christ and doing well. But they left that place of their first love. And Jesus says to them, and he says to, to you and me this morning in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we must stay the course. And by remembering his love for us, the unmerited favor that he has shown us by his grace, we can stay focused on Jesus and not be focused on the things of the world that can so easily distract us. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. It's about eight books back from where we are here in the book of Revelation. It's between Philemon and James. And again, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And what I'm going to do here is have you follow along with me as I read the whole chapter. I know it's a lot, but again, you can never have too much of the Word of God. And as we read it together here, just let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart the truth that he is speaking in the word of God here, okay? And, and just before we start reading here, I want to remind you of what we're talking about in this study this morning. The Ephesian believers in Jesus Christ, again, once called faithful by Paul and Jesus, they have left that place of their first love with Jesus. And Jesus warns them in Revelation 2, and then the Word of God here in Hebrews will exhort us to stay the course as well. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So, look, if, if you don't think that that sin can easily trap you, you're wrong. Because God's word says here that it's easily done. And then verse 1 continues and says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, why do you need endurance? Well, because it's not going to be easy to stay the course of following Jesus Christ. But the solution is right here in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So that's the key right there. 
Where is the eyes of your heart focused today? They need to be focused on Jesus Christ, right? And what did Jesus do? Well, verse 2 continues and says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So there again, we see the remedy here for becoming weary and discouraged in our walks of faith. What are we to do? Consider Jesus. And the word consider there is the Greek word uh, that may be easy for some of you to pronounce, but it's not easy for me to pronounce, but it's analogozomai, okay? And I probably butchered that, but here's the point, right? It's where we get our English word analyze from. And another word to say it, another way I should say to say that is to deeply ponder. So we analyze and we deeply ponder Jesus. But verse 4 continues and says, You have not resisted, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So you see, Jesus did go all the way to bloodshed, didn't he, in his fight against sin. But we haven't had to do that, right? But there is chastening in our lives, right? We, there is rebuke. And verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Unfortunately, we know in our society today that there are many undisciplined sons and daughters. Sons and daughters who are not chastened by a father. Verse 8 says, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. So there are those fathers that do a good job of this, right? We have had human fathers who have corrected us and, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So even the earthly fathers that have chastened their children and have cared enough and loved their children enough to, to guide them along the right path, you know, they have done it for a very short time in a way that they thought it seemed best to them. But God does it for our profit. For what, though? That we may be partakers of his holiness, it says right there. And, and let's not forget that God desires for us to be holy. What does holy mean? Holy means set apart. We must endure. We must stay the course of loving Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, considering him, right? Analyze and ponder the way Jesus was and is, right? 
And all of this is to our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So a lot of real good spiritual knowledge for us in verses 12 and 13 uh, and I want to read them again and, and, and let them sink in. Again, let the Holy Spirit minister this to you. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Again, there is a way that we are to walk. We are to live in holiness as followers of Jesus Christ. Holiness meaning we're just set apart, right? And we are to stay that course and not leave that place of our first love, right? Verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in that verse there, verse 14, we see the importance of holiness, don't we? without which no one will see the Lord. And in verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any uh, root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So don't sell out cheap. Stay the course. You know how many people today will sell their soul for one moment of pleasure, 10 minutes of pleasure, 20 minutes of pleasure, whatever it may be. They'll sell their soul for it. They'll fall into fornication or, or other forms of sin that, 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 you know, they're not walking in holiness. They're not living set apart from the world. They're walking in the ways of the world. Right, Verse 17 goes on to say, For you know that afterwards when he, right, this is Esau, right, he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and temp tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Okay, so that was then, right? This is now, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So, with all of this in mind, verse 25 says here 
See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Now, I know not many people like this fact of Scripture, and they find ways to get around it, but you can turn away from Jesus. Jesus has spoken to the hearts of many people, and for one reason or another, many people have turned away. And last week, if you remember, we studied uh, the parable of the sower, right? And the cares of this life can choke the word of God right out of some people. And you know, again, people would rather have the temporary pleasures than have the eternal bliss. And then verse 26 says, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. So you see, he is coming again, brothers and sisters. And we've got to stay ready. We've got to stay ready with oil in our lamps. And verse 27, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken remain. Very powerful words right there. The things of this life are temporary. And this life and this earth will someday be no more as we know it right now. And only the things of the kingdom of God will remain. Therefore, verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We must serve God with reverence and godly fear. And why is that? Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. So the warning is there. Don't leave your first love. And if you have, then get back to it. And, and you know, you, it can happen. Don't think that it, it can't. Don't think that you can't leave your first love. Don't think you can fall away from the grace of God or don't think you can't fall away, right, from the grace of God. But you know what the answer is? The answer is simple. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. So let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 now. And hopefully you mark that page. Verse 3 continues, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So note there that there's only one way that God the Father blesses us spiritually, and that is in Jesus Christ. There are no spiritual blessings anywhere else. All roads do not lead to God. Only Jesus does. Okay, now, before we move on to verse 4, I'm going to do something a little different here. We're going to skip a bunch of verses, and then we're going to come back to first, verse 4. Now, there's a reason I'm going to do this, because I want us to have the context of this letter. Paul was a preacher to the Jew 
and to the non-Jew, the Gentiles, right? Verse 4 and, and on, right, from, from verse, fear, verse 4 here as we go on, it can be taken out of context if we're not careful. So that's why I'm going to drop down, we're going to see the context, and then we're going to come back to verse 4. So let's look down at verse 12. It says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Who did the gospel of Christ go to first? It went to the Jew first, right? And then to the Gentile. The people who first trusted in Jesus Christ were Jews. Go back to all the disciples. Go back to the upper room of Acts chapter 2. The first believers in Jesus Christ were Jews. So Paul, speaking to the Gentiles, says in verse 13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So how does someone get saved? By trusting in the words of the gospel. You see that there? And verse 13 continues. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So salvation comes to the person that hears the gospel, believes in Jesus, and then is sealed with the Holy Spirit. But the context here is that the Jews were the first ones to receive the gospel and believe. The Jews are the predestined ones. They are the ones that God, you know, long before the foundation of the world as we know it, he had them in mind to bring salvation through to the rest of the world. And then back in verse 4 here, it tells us that just as he chose us, who? The first Jewish believers, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, What's the reason that God chose this plan of salvation? And, and why did he bring it to the Jew first? Verse 10, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So Jesus came as a Jew. The gospel went to the Jews. The Jews were his own special people. 
Let's briefly turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Mark that page, John chapter 1. Verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So who gets the right to become children of God? Anyone who receives him. The only predestined ones were the Jews who were chosen by God to first receive the gospel. But now, in this time, in this period of time that we now live, anyone can come and receive Jesus Christ. Verse 13 here of John 1 describes that a little further. And it says, "...who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man." but of God. So it's God that does the work in a heart of a person. And we know from other scriptures that it is the Holy Spirit doing the work, right? And a man can't make a person be saved. I can't even do that with my own children. My children weren't born saved, even though I was saved when they were born. A person can't by works of their flesh become saved as we see in verse 13 also, it's only by receiving Jesus Christ and being born of God that a person can receive salvation. That's the only way to get there. Go ahead and turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 11 continues and says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So here it is again. Who are the predestined ones? Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So the Jews, they were the first ones that trusted in Christ. The gospel went to the Jew first. Okay? They were the predestined ones. Then again, verse 13, right? You and me, right? Us Gentiles. It says, in, whom, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, okay, so pause right there. So the Gentiles that came to faith in Jesus Christ loved the saints. Who were the saints? Those first believers. Those Jews that came to Jesus first. Remember, we studied in Romans 15 that the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things of the Jews. And it is our duty as Gentiles also to minister to them in material things. If not for God's plan of salvation, His predestined plan of salvation coming to the Jew first, 
you and I would not be blessed today with the ability to receive and follow Jesus Christ. So again, verse 15 says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord, Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. How awesome is that? God's word says here, that God can give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, each one of us here this morning that have received Jesus Christ have this within us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, all because of Jesus. Not because of us, but all because of Jesus. And what else happens as a result of this? Verse 18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Man, there's so much wrapped up in these verses. And I really encourage you to take some time to meditate on them. When we come to Christ, our understanding is enlightened. We see things differently, don't we? We come to know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, the greatness of His power toward us who believe. Don't sell yourself short on these things. Desire this power by fixing your, your eyes and your mind upon Jesus Christ. Because that power, verse 20 um, says, was which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in, he in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So the name above all names, that's Jesus. All other things, right, grow strangely dim when we turn our eyes upon him. The devil desires to keep people from the knowledge of Jesus. He forms all kinds of doctrines that exclude certain people. And he divides up the body of Christ and he keeps people outside of the church, the true church, the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about our church here, this gathering. I'm talking about the body of Christ. The devil wants to distract people from receiving Jesus. Because there is so much power in trusting in Jesus. And not only that, eternity is in the balance. And continuing to speak of Jesus, verse 22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. You see, you need to be careful. Because I'm not the head of you. No pastor, no religion is to be the head of you. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. No one else stands between you and God, okay? It's just you and Jesus, right? Jesus is the head. All things are under his feet. Verse 23, which is his body. 
the fullness of him who, who fills all in all. You see, if you've repented of your sin and you've turned to Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you are a part of the true church of Jesus Christ. You are a part of his body, whether you ever step foot in a building or not. Okay? He has offered his grace to this world. God became flesh. Jesus Christ was a Jewish man. He was God in the flesh. And the gospel went to the Jew first, right? They were God's predestined ones. And now whosoever will can come and receive Jesus Christ. If you know this truth, then live it out. Be ye separate. Be holy. And share the power of the truth of the gospel with others around you. God bless.